Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Killer Collab Podcast. My name is Tony Deaf from Florida, Tony D. As you always know that we are being joined with Chris Leto from Reaper Phil. How y'all doing? Welcome, good morning. And then today we're also bringing a very special guest, very special guest. We've got Nick Benson coming into uh, coming to join us this morning. Nick Benson, uh, various special effects uh, mastery. I don't know what I should call it, but good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I call it idiocy. <laughs> I call it to do this. fun with latex. Fun yeah. with latex. But, you know, a lot of people call it something else. <laughs> Fetishy. Yeah, you can do that too. <laughs> I have a mild latex fetish. A mild latex fetish. I don't know if that's... I mean, that's nothing good. wrong with that. Yeah, no, not at all. So this morning, uh, we want to dive deep. Every time we bring someone new on the on the show, we would like to, you know, dive in. What's if there's any projects that you're working on now, or there's any, you know, just various topics that you know going on in society today. So, what are you working on today? Uh, I saw what you did there, society. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're actually, talking about. <laughs> actually, I have a stack of projects uh, in the works. Um, I just, I can't, I can't say what it is yet, but I, but I did sign on with Jack Shoulder and. Uh, oh, I like secrecy. I like secrecy. Yeah, to do a very vampiric film. Okay. Um, cool. That was recent. That was just last week. Um, I have uh, about five other scripts beside that, and I have in development. Now, are you doing spe- specifically special effects on these films, or are you doing uh, uh, other uh, tactics? Yeah, I'm going to be producing uh, oh, yeah. like four of them. Uh, two of them are effects uh, heavy. Well, they're all effects heavy, but um, I'm going to be producing them and overseeing the effects. And I, have a team, I have a team of really great people that I bring on to, to oh, handle awesome. the effects, really. I mean, I just kind of I'm, – I'm more of an – a visionary and oversee a lot of it now, but um, yeah. Do you work on just bigger budget stuff, or do you work on like micro budget stuff also? It's well, it's it's a combination because um, I do well. I do some micro budget stuff. Uh, I you know I try to I try to run the gamut because I I like helping the film people. Right. And you know I want to keep the community putting some of this stuff out. You know. Sure. Um, I don't like that a lot of the horror, like the, the stuff that I worked on in the 80s, let's, let's talk about, um, like that kind of stuff in the 80s, I mean, it was a lot higher budget stuff, but you don't see that a whole lot anymore. You don't see that, right. you don't get that that kind of area of film anymore. Yeah. You either have the really high budget shit or you have the really micro budget shit. Right, there's really so nothing I'm, in between. I'm trying to change that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm working on, the stuff I'm working on um, is middle middle of the road budget but um should be very quality and very uh throwback <laughs> in style and plot and character arts and things like that absolutely like uh, nowadays everyone wants to go away from the practical effects and they want to do everything like either cgi or they just yeah. want to bring in like j- just various you know shortcuts to something that could be easily not easily done but you know practically done look better yeah exactly <laughs> on film and more yeah. controllable like while you're there like on set like something that you can control a little bit better um while you're in the scene especially if you can reactions are a lot better like definitely it, it, it just like practical effects give that aspect of like the story it's basically a practical effect actually contrib- contributes to the story because 
you know, the way, let's say, so the way that someone dies, people can actually, you know, feel that emotion. Like when you're slicing into like, like I've been decapitated in multiple movies, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been I, I, like, Don't you, lose your head now. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> but it's easier for the reaction when people actually see my like the head getting cut off. Like people actually can just like, holy shit, his head was just cut off, and you watch it splatter onto the floor. And it's 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 it, it adds a little bit more of that like that, that dynamic exactly you know like a little signature onto it because it you it allows that atmosphere onto it sure sure like I'll, I'll give you an example one of the one of the projects that I'm having the works and I can't say what that one is either because I'm producing it with Len Lowry um, we're working on something together that and we've had deep discussions about it it's it's so much easier for an actor or actress to react to something real that's in front of them than stand sure. in front of the green screen or, or have a you know have a have a digital scene that they're just told what it is. Yeah. And they have to react to something that really isn't there. Even right. if there's a CG stand in, it doesn't really give them that much to react to. Yeah. Right. When you're when you're talking like like the Marvel movies, like that whole movie is basically on a blue screen and I don't know how they do it. Like it's just incredible that you can act to basically nothing <laughs> yeah, it, and show emotion. It like it it's takes, pretty crazy. Honestly, it takes a lot of talent for some of those people to do what they yeah. do in, in the current climate with filming. And that's why they make the big bucks. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, um, they're a little out of our you know, budget. For, for me, I'm going to be directing this one with Lynn. And, um, I, I have a real, real strong vision of what we need and, and the practical stuff just, it has to be, it yeah. has to be right. practical. I have to have those reactions I have to have that emotion, uh, and it, it's this this new story's got teeth. It's all, it's cool. Teeth. Now, do you think it's uh like uh basically since you're with the special effects background, do you think that gives you a a little more in touch with with the material that's being put, uh, displayed from the screen from screenplay to script? Do you think it gives you a little bit more like intertwined within the story because of your special effects? You actually see it in your mind of how it's 100%. supposed to be played out. Hundred percent. Do you think that gives you uh, like a like a step above a lot of uh, other producers and you know directors that actually ha do not have that specific background? They have an idea of what they want to see, but yeah. they have no idea of the execution of it. I do think it gives me a little more insight as to what I want to see. Because I have worked with directors that, uh, you know, like they think they know what they want to see and then they'll get on set and do it. And then they'll be like, no, no, let's try it this way mm -hmm. or let's try it that way. Right. And doesn't really, they're not like 100%. You right. Know? Like and you know me, what's going to work. I, I, yeah. I know what can be done. So, yeah. so I kind of have a little advantage there, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to budgets, too. You have an idea of what everything's sure. going to cost it. You know how much blood to use, or you know, that's exactly that's never a bad thing. More blood, unless I'm in the movie, then we don't put that much blood into it. <laughs> I, I, I have a couple horror stories with some of my uh, blood uh, experience from this guy behind me. A <laughs> 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 little too much blood sometimes, <laughs> but it's never too much blood, unless yeah, unless I wasn't expecting. It's very cold and sticky and gross. Yeah. But I like well, and more and more to what you guys are saying. It's like I'm working on a movie with Mick Strong. If you know who he is, he yes, was, he was a production designer in Nightmare Four, Nightmare Three. Uh, he's directing a film called House in the Pines, and I and I really like I'm doing the effects on there, 
but Mick and I work so well together because we both, I know what he wants and it's like, he'll say, well, I want to do this. And I'm like, so would we do it this way? And we like, you're right on money. Nice. So we're always, the coolest thing about having, having the background that you do is that I kind of see exactly what he wants to see. Right. And I know how it can be done and done well. And oh, yeah. he knows secrets that I sometimes didn't. And, and we just, you know, we just really bounce stuff off each other really well. So almost all the films I've got right now, I'm, I'm making sure he production designs and is involved because you know, visually the guy's a junior. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, um, I mean, you've probably killed hundreds of people. <laughs> is there anything that you haven't done yet that you would That's want just to Tuesdays. do? <laughs> That's before is there, he drinks his coffee. <laughs> is there a, a way of killing someone that you have not done that you want to do? Um, no. <laughs> so you've done everything because, because you know, I don't know. There's maybe there's some I haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. I mean, turning somebody inside out is pretty awkward. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Not what's funny? That, so. What's funny is uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know. what's funny back in 2015. Um, I directed a movie called Crazy Lake, and we had Marcus Cook um, doing the special effects. And I mean, he's been doing it since he was a little kid, and he's done everything. And I told him we were doing a throat slash, and he tells me I've never done one of those. I'm like, what? Like it just blew my mind. And I'm like, how have you not ever done a throat slash? Like that's such a basic kill in a movie, in a horror movie, especially. Um, But he did it. It came out great, but. It just was kind of interesting that he's killed all these people over the years and never did that. Like a real <laughs> well, basic thing. I think what, thing. what happens is, is you have you have so many films like nowadays. I mean, I've been doing it 35 years, so it's a long time. But I think nowadays it's it's like that's that's kind of a like a commonality. Like, okay, well, we're going to cut their throat. All right. Well, most films aren't looking at that. They're looking at how can we go really big. Right. Right. Uh, they might decapitate somebody versus cutting their throat, or, mm-hmm. or um, you know, or cut off a limb as opposed to just slicing it open. Right. Um, I personally, I prefer the ones that kind of really get under your skin and you're you're, you're squirming in your seat rather than just mm-hmm. the shock. So, what's your of, favorite of, one that you've done? Uh it's it's hard to say that I have a favorite because they they're all individual experiences on these films, mm-hmm. and and they all have their own sort of closet that they're in they right. all in, are in these compartments um but i will say you know like society was probably the most fun in, in kills just because they're so weird right <laughs> hmm. interesting they were so out of the norm you know like <laughs> to like turning ferguson inside out um you know and the, the whole shunting sequence was just absolutely bonkers right and that's part of the the challenge of directing a horror movie is trying to come up with stuff that hasn't been done before. Um, right. And it's funny because I've, it's like a, I made a movie called Rough Cut and we killed a girl with a blender. Like we had her tied up and we cut her stomach open with a, he had a blender with the, just a blade. Oh, and right. um, <laughs> so we're watching this and we were like all excited about it. No one's ever killed anybody with a blender before. You know, we we're all excited. And then uh, like a year later, uh, Your Next came out and they, killed somebody with a blender and i was just like what <laughs> and it's kind of interesting to see that like the same kill come up you know they didn't do it the exact same way but they killed somebody with a blender 
Right, but every, I think I think horror in general, no matter what anybody does, some inspires others, and I think that's a good thing. I think. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. It's always a good thing. It's a good thing to come up with stuff that people haven't come up with. But let's face it, man, the stuff has been being done since 1902. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. it's it's pretty hard to come up with super unique, but it's still not out of the question to come up with something unique. Right, and that's what you know. Me and Sean's Sean Donahue's uh, conversations are like. Uh, so how are we going to kill this person? How are we going to kill this person? And it's just like brainstorming, trying to figure out something that is going to be cool, practical, that we can do easily, you know, under with our small budget. Right. Um, but I think we do all right coming up with some interesting things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, chopping off my head every movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think until they sell my head that, that I'm going to be getting decapitated in every yeah, movie of theirs. <laughs> Just because it was like such a expensive thing to yeah, it's do. Like, let's throw Tony in and cut his head off. <laughs> He's just a guy in the beginning. Oh, no line, cut his head off. Right. <laughs> it's just carnage. I mean, I'm not mad at it, but you know, hey, it's that guy with the head. No, but now from what, what's a little bit of your background? Like, what, where did you, did you school? Did you go to school for? Or did you just learn as you go? Played with some latex here and made a. Made, made a hand and just yeah that's kind of more like where it came from i it, it's weird because my like my whole childhood i grew up uh, the son of a, of a universal studios executive so okay. i so grew up on the universal studios lot essentially nice. i was always there i you know i'd go there with my mom and she would hand me the keys to her golf cart and i had carte blanche i could do whatever <laughs> on the lot go wherever i wanted i had passes to get in the line cut into lines Fantastic. do whatever i needed um, so that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that made me a monster kid early on. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, and then in the, in the eighties, the early eighties, I was still in high school and I was in and out of bands. I was a musician, but I wanted to do more theatrical type things. So I started playing with materials and making weird things happen on stage. And, um, I wound up in this band, uh, called London After Midnight, and I was working with those guys on on creating a stage show, and I was and my roommate was Steve Johnson, so at that time, he I started bouncing stuff off of him for ideas, and, and he just invited me one day, just like, hey, you want to come make Rubber Monsters? <laughs> <laughs> so yes! It, it, it was kind of the luck of the draw for me. I, I just wound up in the right place at the right time with the right people. And, right. That's sort of been my life story. My wife keeps telling me I need to write a book about it because I've just always fallen into these scenarios where it's just the right fit and right, just right. the right people. Absolutely. And, um, you Absolutely. Know, I've been very lucky. So what was your first thing that you think you put together? What, what was your first practical effect that you decided to do? And how, and how has that evolved to current status? Uh, a bleeding guitar. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I decided that I wanted to have a guitar that that looked like it was made of flesh and could bleed uh, on command kind of thing. So I, I wound up taking the guitar completely apart and I, I cut channels into it so that I could run lines for blood. And, uh, you know, just finished it all up, covered it back up, painted it to look like flesh. And, and as they play, as the guitarist played it, it would bleed all over his hands when he wanted to because we had a little actuator on the back of it. Nice. Could, now, did the cool. blood come down the lines or down no, the strings? No, it bled all over the guitar, yeah. Oh, 
it was kind of the end the end of a song and then you just changed guitars now do you still have that effect no <laughs> i wish i had that guitar still <laughs> we kind of destroyed the electronics in it, you know but that's yeah. Of course, that, that's par for the course. You know, you're learning, and I'm like, I want this thing to bleed, and you made it bleed a little too much, so what I is, sort of retired it. What is your most prized possession from a movie set? Uh, you know, in in the days that I did that stuff, it, we really didn't take stuff from the set. We really didn't, you know, keep yeah. it. And it's kind of like, you know, okay, we're done. Let's let's move on, and and either threw a lot of stuff away, or or people came and got it. You know, right. Yeah. Um, there was some. There was some pieces I wanted. I know that, like the Nightmare on Elm Street cork. There, we had a three-foot cockroach that was animatronic that I actually had taken home at one point, and then I just didn't have room to keep it around, so I took it back to Georgia's shop. I don't know where that thing wound up today. That was the one of the most. That, that specific scene was like the scene that I like was very squeamish uh, to me because there's something with that whole, especially which is like she's in the hallway with the extra arm and then. All of a sudden, right. she's in. The, oh man, I, I just I, I, that's like one of the only scenes that made me. I like I love the entire series, but that was like the one scene that made me very squeamish with the and then the mouth. Oh, I, I just <laughs> that, that one scene. Yeah. I don't know why that specific scene just that was always a made fun me. That, oh yeah. man, that would just that, that would like I said that one so, sticks with me till today. <laughs> Still. Yeah, another another piece that I really do wish I had today, especially, was uh, back when I was roommates with Steve. Uh, of course, he had lots of shit everywhere because he had worked on so many great things already. Um, I had found, like in our garage, our we had the cab driver from Ghostbusters oh, nice. that rotted that rotted cab yeah. driver oh, yeah. dude. Yeah, that's cool. So that was just sitting in our garage. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna <laughs> put this in my room. Is that cool? <laughs> He's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Now was that just a torso so, yeah, or the entire that. body? It's it's uh it's a, about a half body, so it's about from here up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's, cool. that, that's pretty. Animatronic cables coming out of it, but I didn't care. I just hid the cables and. Oh yeah. Put them up on top of my TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! That's awesome. Iconic, yeah. iconic movies like that. You have stuff. Yeah. Well, Steve, cool. Steve would tell you I slept in the coffin in those days, so it wasn't like you know. It wasn't so weird <laughs> to have that in my room. I mean, you know, co coffins get a bad rap. A lot of them have are very nice and comfy on the inside. <laughs> you know, a lot of them have more cushion than my bed does. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the. I mean, it's a little tight. Yeah, I'm six two 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 twenty, but you know, still it's a little tight. But it's still comfier <laughs> than my bed, probably. Just no room to stretch out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, they get a bad yeah, rap. Yeah, I was definitely a ghoul monster kid at that point. So. There you go. There you, hey, off topic, but do you guys know that Amazon sells coffins? Do they, <laughs> do they? Does anyone? Do they, I, I what doesn't? At, what don't they sell? I, I looked that up. I was like, I don't know what I was looking up, but I, I, I don't know specifically what it was. Yeah, but then, well, then I saw a listing for a come, coffin. I was like, what the come fuck? on, Bezos is a gajillionaire, so right. so he's probably having staff meetings going, "What aren't we selling?" Yeah. Right. Someone <laughs> right. in the room said, "Death. We're not coffins. selling death." Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, okay. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where, where they. You know, I, like I literally don't know why that popped up. Are they trying to tell me something? They're like, am I dying? Like, I don't. Do they not? Know? I just want to <laughs> see the look on the fucking delivery guy's face. Right. <laughs> it, I mean, they definitely have to flat, flat ship that. I mean, really, I get, I get, I get shipped something from Amazon literally almost every day, and I can only well, imagine. God damn it! I want my coffin overnight. <laughs> 
it said two-day shipping. It said specific two-day shipping. My Amazon Prime is for this reason. That's right. <laughs> so uh, with your long list of uh, projects that you have done, like what, what's, what's the – like behind the scenes, what is like the one – one actor or person that you worked with that you know sticks out the most that always that really wanted to learn the most from you like and what do you think they're doing now do you still talk to those people well actually oddly enough there's quite a few of them that i talk to now because we seem to be doing a lot of conventions together okay <laughs> um but i'll say that of of all of the films that i worked on as far as like any kind of bond or friendship I think Nightmare on Elm Street Four probably has the strongest. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's and that's I think there's a lot of factors that come into that. I think one is one is because we were making this movie in the middle of a writer strike. Yeah. Uh, so there was issues with the script that, believe it or not, the cast worked out. So they oh. wrote a lot of their own stuff, uh, spitballing off of each other, and um, they came up with absolutely great stuff. That's interesting. And same same goes for the crew. We were give you know we were working in in the face of a lot of issues, and and everybody wanted to do the absolute best. And that every every effects crew that was involved in that, from from Howard Berger's people to uh, you know um, John Beekler's people, to George's crew, which which I was a part of, and Steve Johnson's crew, which I was a part of, because I was bouncing back and forth between the two, uh, and. Um, you know, we just really wanted to make it epic, and and I feel like that particular film, while there was more Nightmare on Elm Street stuff afterwards, I still feel like you had three, which was an absolutely great film. Yeah. And then you had four, which was kind of the peak of Nightmare on Elm Street as a franchise. I feel like it kind of started to go back downhill after that. I agree. Um, but that's just my opinion, you know. Um, oh, and a lot of people feel the same I, way too. Yeah, and and I feel like I feel like the the casting crew we just really you know we worked so hard on it together and it was really uh, a crew and cast effort to make that movie what it was. I mean, Rennie Rennie was there and Rennie was directing, but Rennie Rennie was also playing Rockstar, so <laughs> you know he had he had a blonde on either side of him at any given time and. Who was walking around playing Rockstar? Not so. a bad position to be. Though. Not a bad. Position. I wish I had at least one. You know, just you know. And and <laughs> two, you know, I mean, I mean, not 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 that I fault Rennie at any at, for any reason because I mean, you know, he had such great crews that were so into what we were doing that um, he could pretty much walk in, look at the setup, and go, "Yep, that's it." And that's all a director should do. It really, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. You surround yourself with talented people. You don't really have to do much to be a director. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, I've always said a director's job is to solve problems. Any issue that comes up, that's your job is to solve it. Um, right. Other than that, looks good, let's move on. Like, that's really all yeah. you need to say. Um, unless you're getting bad performances or whatever. But, you know, I think when you're with actors on that level, I don't think there's a whole lot of acting, directing involved. Um, unless they're completely off what your vision is. Right, what your what your vision is for the scene, you know. I mean, you, you really. I mean, that's the thing is a director knows how much emotion he wants to see, or how much this, or how right. much that. Yeah. But it's really it's really self explanatory because sometimes even those actors will just take it and make it their own, and sure. you're like, oh shit, okay, that's awesome. What I thought. Let's move on. Yeah. How long was the shoot schedule for that specific movie? Which one? Uh, with for Nightmare Four. 
Um, oh, fuck, that was a long one. Yeah, because I was wondering because with, uh, with with you know with the writer strike and the actors doing a lot of their own ad libbing and you know the script problems that uh, that you uh, mentioned, like I could imagine that the long days and just trying to get it right, like just like on on go. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember like we had we had finished on the stage we were working on, so I was I was in the waterbed. There was a part of the stage we were doing the waterbed thing in. Uh-huh. And, um, I remember, I remember Rick Barker was just, I mean, we had, we had gone through, God damn, I don't know, 16 or 17 takes of that. Jeez. It was just like, it was an unbearable amount of takes of the same thing. And the, I can't remember the Playboy model's name. She's super sweet girl, but she was just waterlogged. She was freezing. And finally Rick Barker just fucking barked at everybody and was like, She's done. If you didn't get it in 16 fucking takes, <laughs> you're shit out of luck. She's done. Hopefully it was a good so, editor. <laughs> yeah, so he, he just kind of put his foot down and said, you're, you're done. If you didn't get it by now, you're fucking stupid, basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's a, at some point, like, when you're on set, it's just enough is enough. Like, yeah. like uh, at least some point, like, when, when I'm editing, I have to pretty much piece a lot of different, you know, a lot of the different takes together just to make one full take sometimes and i know chris behind me doesn't like more than three takes so he gets a little frustrated well no it's not even that it's just you know when you have a three thousand dollar budget you can't shoot 10 days you gotta shoot yeah five or six days and right we don't have time to i mean the more takes it costs money so yeah yeah and you gotta move try to knock it out you gotta know what's gonna work and what's not right we not try to knock it out in two takes and oh yeah we gotta move on oh yeah so we got to make sure our actors are prepared and the crew's prepared. Well, there's really not a crew. I think that's another I'm the, advantage. I'm the crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. I mean, another advantage I had was that I, I started as an editor and uh, and doing sound stuff. That was my kind of you know that was my side gig doing when I was doing music. So I was an, I was an apprentice editor. Oh yeah. And I actually cut I cut celluloid, uh, so I had an understanding of celluloid and mag and wound up doing sound effects and different things before I got in with Steve. So, you know, the production process has been a part of my life since I was. Right. Absolutely. But that's huge that you can do all that stuff. Um, I mean, I direct, shoot, edit. I mean, I do everything and yeah, it's, it allows us to make movies for $3,000, you know, where it's just me and Sean, Sean can do direct and special effects. I shoot and edit and we really don't need much else um, to make something look, halfway decent i mean our movies don't look right. like spectacular or sound spectacular but they're okay for what we spend on them and, well yeah uh, for what you guys are doing yeah you know, i mean you're really you're really maximizing your dollar right <laughs> you know that that gives us a little bit of money to pay the actors and and buy props and all that stuff um yeah so we just made a movie called zed's dead which is a pulp a play on pulp fiction and we made a feature film for eleven hundred dollars. Wow! And we built a pawn shop. And what was cool about the pawn shop is we just drug shit from our house. And I mean, it's a pawn shop; anything works, you know, for a <laughs> pawn shop. Like we had all kinds of weird shit in there, um, but it works. But yeah, we made that movie for eleven hundred dollars, and um, you know, we did a, a Indiegogo and. I think we made like fifty three hundred dollars on the Indiegogo, 
So we're already in the green, and we haven't even released the movie yet. Um, that's awesome. So that's kind of the formula that we've come up with is uh, try to make something under three grand, do an Indiegogo. We make five and then sell DVDs to make a little bit more, and then we make another movie. Right. So nobody's getting rich, but it's fun, and we make a little bit of money on it. And fun fact, right. I get decapitated again. And Tony gets decapitated. <laughs> <on me. laughs> I mean, I, I, wish, I wish I would. I could say that I bring more to the table in that movie, but no, I, I really, no. I'm only in it for like, I don't know. Literally like one minute? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. He <laughs> came in to pawn a Oosh, samurai Just tell sword. everybody you're, you're one step ahead of everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got ahead on the competition. And Tony came in to pawn a samurai sword and the guy cut his head off That's the it. wrong thing. I got to bring in like hedge clippers. <laughs> No, even then, even then, you can't even do that. Can't even pawn anything nowadays without without getting decapitated. Yeah. I don't know what is wrong. She's <laughs> trying to live my life. So I know you can't speak on a lot of the upcoming projects, but do you have a time frame or time timeline that will be you know we'll be able to look forward to, especially for our listeners and viewers? For well, there's project? a. I, I'm not sure what the target date is for release on, on Jack Shoulder's new film, but uh, we think I think we start shooting mid-September. Okay. So I think by next summer, this will be out. Uh, and it looks like uh, House in the Pines, which yeah, whole binder there. Um, that's Mick's movie, and, and Mick and Jeremy Brown are making, are making that. And... Um, I think our goal is to shoot that next summer. So, okay. cool. Do you work just primarily in LA, or do you travel? No, no, I'm I'm everywhere. I'm, I live in, in Nevada. I live literally four hours from LA, so that makes right. it easy to go to LA if I need to. Oh, yeah. But um, I do most of my stuff here. It's the cost to produce stuff is so much cheaper. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I have fantastic crew here, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm actually. In the works and partnering and building a small studio here. Cool. Um, uh, as you guys know, I have a museum here. I have there's a there's a good horror community here in, in Nevada. Hmm. What part and of Nevada are you live? I'm in Henderson. I'm just about you know ten minutes outside of Vegas. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> it's it makes it pretty easy to do things. Um, right. Now at your studio, well, what specifically would you be doing? Would it be just filming? Sound studio would be. Uh, well, it's it's we're we're looking at incorporating uh, one full effects stage, one full sound stage, uh, several small like really micro stages that are that are more like a small room that you can do virtual sets or whatever you want in. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh, and a full effects shop that uh, I'll be making stuff out of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Now. Now walk us through the the process. Well, when you start, let let's say you're chopping off someone's hand, like what would be the what is the process like mentally that you look at, like how it gets chopped off or where it's gonna bleed? No, from? I just cut their fucking head off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I I can relate to that. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> I know you can, you know, because you were talking about a katana, so here you know, <laughs> we can make that happen right now. Oh yeah. Uh, make sure you watch Zed Zed. That's exactly how I get that Tony decapitated. Tony gets P- PTSD from looking at samurai. <laughs> samurai. What did I get my head chopped off before? Was it? Oh, it was With just, a oh, cleaver. A cleaver. Yeah. Cleaver was. While his head was in someone's crotch. And not, not a bad crotch. Not a bad crotch. And then my head's been in 
like the decapitated head has been in multiple. That's funny because that's like a little. <laughs> that's like a little stab at Beaver Cleaver. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I don't even think we put that two that, that together. We did it. <laughs> Only me, man. Only me. I'm that old. I'm that fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should market it that. For, we sell, did someone sell that Cleaver? The Beaver Cleaver. I think I'm. I'm sure Sean did. Sean sells everything. Except for my head. Word, you're a little hard on the beaver last night. <laughs> That's funny because when uh, the girl's name is Sushi, that was in uh, that his head was in her crotch. <laughs> and it's funny because whenever the movie's over, she takes her panties off and gives them to Sean, and he puts them in a bag so we can sell them on the Indiegogo. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. Uh, oh boy! You know, people buy this everything. People oh, buy, it's crazy what people I, buy. I don't. I don't get it now. Do you have experience like selling things like from from just anything, uh, any of your movies or your prop props or anything? Not not till recently because um, I've been friends with uh, James Azriel of the HSPPA for I don't know it's about six years now. Yeah, and it took some convincing from him for me to do like prop preservation and restoration, which yeah I've got oh, some yeah. pieces back here that I'm working on. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, he, he took some convincing from him for me to think about doing that, and I you know I finally did. So I've been doing that for about five and a half years, and and I've done some pretty interesting pieces, and that's what wound up having uh, my wife say, "Hey, we need to open a museum. There's so many cool pieces you're oh, working yeah, on. Absolutely. And we got to do this and show, share this stuff with the public, just because there's such cool stuff." Um, How big is your so museum? that kind of well, it's it's a little under two thousand square feet, but we have over one hundred and sixty items in there at, at any given time. Wow! Um, our entire collection's over four thousand pieces. And is this and all our, stuff that you made, or is it no, all kinds of no? No, this things? is not all my stuff. This is I've got. I've got right now. Our feature exhibit is Silent Hill, so I mm-hmm. have two pyramid heads, four nurses. I have the missionary. I have the great child. I have Ooh. all the hero costumes in there. I think I literally um, just watched that the other day. Like it's it's a pretty it's pretty neat. It's oh, yeah. uh, and we have stuff from you know some of the X Men stuff. We have you know just stuff from all over the place. It's all horror, sci fi, fantasy stuff. Well, especially so, uh, this this yeah. piece back here is from Galaxy Quest. Oh yeah. So that's going in. I just have to do a couple things to mm-hmm. it and mount it and seal it. I watched that the other and day I, too. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I <literally did. laughs> Oh man, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to look in the background what you got back there. I, I recognize. Yeah, there's a there's a head back there that's kind of like right above my head to the to the what would probably be your right yeah. uh, is from Dead Heat. That that was a guy that got hit by the car. Who, um, what's the guy the other up one, in the corner? That's the, a little gargoyle looking. The vampire dude. Yeah. Yeah, he's really nothing special. He's just a. Something I made years ago that I've been toting around. I don't um, know. He looks familiar. I don't know. It's for a haunted house. Oh, okay, well, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, um, I, I and wish... the the mummy is another one that's this similar. I just made that for, but I love it. I love the mummy. Oh. So I, I'm just trying to part two. <laughs> trying to understand the thought process and just just get inside the mind of a special effects creator and like I don't know. I don't how, think you want to go in there. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I think it would kind of be like you know the the Freddy Krueger when they went inside his mind in a bad movie mind, which was uh Freddy was six was it six or Freddy's dead I think it was yeah. when they went into his mind with the I think 
it would it'd be similar to that, I guess. But it was uh, <laughs> going into the mind of a special effects creator. But you know, I'm I'm always curious of how they develop and make some of these things, or where they come up with the ideas of just bleeding from specific orifices. And because I know we were talking, yeah, it just really starts with with a you know a script and and a, and a description of what's happening. And I'll give you an example of that, like um, society. Uh, which Screaming Mad George came up with all of the effects for that. And that went a totally different direction than the original script was. Mm -hmm. The original script was uh, they were a blood cult. They were a blood cult. They were going to sacrifice the, you know, the poor. And, and obviously that would not have been even close to the same movie yeah. uh, without that total change in, in how things were approached. But the cool thing about that was, you know, George kind of, George is a surrealist. Uh, as am I to to the end. I mean, he really he, he Dalinian studies. He was a surrealist painter before he became an effects guy. Um, the the dude's a genius, but he's absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you, have, you, but you have to. You have to. Be but nuts. yeah, I mean, it's it's like he would read those scenes and go, "We need to do these in a Dalinian style," and. And sort of started drawing things and started coming up with these ideas, and he threw them at Brian, and Brian was like, "Holy fuck, this is genius!" <laughs> so, so that's the way the story went. They they rewrote it in, in that Dalinian style, and and it was all based off of a couple of Halloween masks that George had made for himself. Weird, interesting. <clears throat> what has anybody has any director ever asked you to do an effect, and you were like? Yeah, there's no way we can do this. That's a tough question. Um, you know, I don't ever like to say no. Right. <laughs> My answer is always, "There's nothing I can't do, but it'll cost." Right. <laughs> oh yeah, because it's it's kind of like the more difficult the effect, uh, the more expensive it gets. But you know, that's the thing is, it's uh, effects is a weird business because you have you have guys like you guys making movies for eleven hundred dollars. And and that's fucking awesome. But by the same token, then you have effects. You have effects materials that get very expensive. Oh yeah. I think that there's a disconnect with a lot of filmmakers where they think if, and that's not to say you guys are because I think you guys have a clue. Yeah. Um, but there are filmmakers out there that think because they can make a movie for eleven hundred dollars that they can do these elaborate things. Yeah, that's the thing. Our and effects are not elaborate. Find, <laughs> yeah, you can find a guy to do some elaborate effects, sometimes for free, but but usually students, um, right. and that's not a bad thing. But but it 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 kind of it kind of throws a a real hammer into into things for guys like me because sure. you know they'll look at this and go, oh well, they did this for this, and and yeah. you know it doesn't work that way. It's, right. You know, this is you want something this spectacular, it's going to cost a lot of money. There's sure. a lot of engineering that goes into it. A lot of there's a lot of things animatronically that have to happen, or whatever it is. You know, there's always something with an elaborate effect that you know you can do it one way or you can do it another way. Here's the cheap way. Here's the expensive way. Right. I mean, there's always a way to do it. You just may not get as elaborate as you want. Right. Yeah. And that's what's cool about doing movies with Sean is he kind of knows how to do stuff. I mean, he's obviously not on your level, but. He well, knows, Sean's a horror geek. Yeah, so he, he knows he, under, he knows he enough. He knows enough for us to get by and make yeah. it look halfway decent um, yeah. with no money. I mean, 
you know, he's got a bunch of stuff that he already has that we use and, sure. um, you know, body parts and he knows how to make guts and intestines and all that crap. Yeah. Um, well, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's cool to collab with someone like that. Um, cause we're both like horror freaks and, um, that's what we like making. Uh, we like making stuff that we want to watch. So having him know how to do that and having me know how to shoot and edit, it's a good team because we don't have to pay each other anything and we don't have to go out and get cameras and rent them and get crew right. and all this stuff. Cause we know how to do everything ourselves. Right. Um, so that's what is allowing us to make movies for under $3,000. And, um, you know, we do it cause it's fun and we enjoy it and we like being on set and creating something. Well, that's the thing is the world of digital opened up a whole new oh, God. world for filmmaking. Yeah. We so couldn't do what we do, what really we do with, with film cameras. No way. And that's when I started was in 2010 when the um, Canon came out with the DSLR. The T2i was the first one, I think. And that's mm -hmm. basically what we started shooting with was the Canon T2i. And um, it looked awesome. I mean, for a $2,000 camera, I mean, it looked great. And it gave you that, you know, that cinematic look yeah. um, with no money. I mean, it's crazy. And that just kickstarted a revolution of everybody wanting to make a movie and now shit with iphones they got that cinema feature on them now that i mean it looks oh i know ridiculous. some of the stuff that comes out of those, those oh, it looks ridiculous so you can shoot a movie with a phone now <laughs> yeah it's like so yeah anybody can make a movie but now we're in a we're in a weird position because you know we were talking i was talking to sean yesterday about it that back in 2012 we made a movie um, called Die, Die, Delta Pi, and I think we had over 50 actors. We had like 10 locations, and we made that movie for like seven grand. And all the actors came out for free. Like they, we didn't pay any of the actors. And now nowadays, it's like people are like, well, why would I be in a movie when I can just take a picture of myself and get, you know, 100,000 likes and make money? You know what I mean? Um, so we're, we're, we're starting to get into that revolution where the kids want to be famous. You know, the young people want to be famous, but they don't want to put any effort into it. They just want to build a following right. online and sit in front of a phone and take a picture of themselves and make money. <laughs> so they don't want to go through the effort of filming a movie for 10 days. And, uh, right. It's, it's getting harder to find talent. Um, we find crew all day long, but it's really, really difficult to find talent here where we are in Tampa um, yeah. because that's the reason. I mean, the young people don't want to do it for some reason cool. or they want to get paid a ton of money. Um, I had a guy, we, we casted him. I was casting a movie and I told him what he was getting paid and he, he started like screaming at me like that's insulting and I'd rather work <laughs> for free and all this shit. And I'm like, so I looked at his credits and he was, in one movie that never came out and his part was guy at party. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy wants wow. to get paid a ton of money and you haven't done anything. Like, why should I pay you when I can get this other guy to do it for nothing? Yeah. You know what I mean, and that's the, that's the way people are now the, the younger people, um, you know, they expect to get paid tons of money and with no experience. I'm like, you're going to walk into a grocery store and be the manager with no experience. No, you're not. You're going to start as a bag boy. Like that's the way it is. And it's the same right. thing, you know, that's right. 
I mean, they don't have bad ones anymore, do they? Um, I think Publix does. <laughs> but yeah, the other ones don't. Now, now being a uh, producer now and everything like that. Now, the current landscape of filming and the film industry has totally transformed from going to the theaters to the digital age. Now, how do you feel that it has effect affected like your mindset going into the production, especially making budgets into the film? Like, because a lot of people, you know, you know, people are making multi-million dollar movies, and how are they going to be able to make that money back from their sales or from like filming and from going to theaters? Because a lot of people aren't doing theaters anymore yet. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting question because because I feel like that was that was sort of the revolution for for me that that got inside my head and said now is the time. Yeah. Now's the time to make content because um, I think it's given us all independent filmmakers an avenue now to sort of not necessarily compete with the studios, but the studios are still really wrapped up in their multi-million dollar deals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's a really tough road to recover your investment. Yep. Um, and it takes a lot longer. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, I sure as hell have, like, anything that gets released on Disney or, or any of the larger HBO, any of those larger platforms, they're charging like more than they would have for you to go to the fucking theater. Yeah. Right. So, but here's the thing with, little, here's, here's the thing with the Disney though. I, I understand, um, you know, them dropping Mulan and charging 50 bucks for the people. So that family of four, you know, yeah, yeah, it's gonna I mean, cost them way more money. On, yeah. Like I just took my they're kids to the movies. I just took my kids to the movies um, Saturday. Right. You know, I got two kids. It was me and them, and we spent thirty bucks on tickets, thirty-one dollars on popcorn and drinks. So yeah. I dropped seventy dollars just to go to the movies. Um, where right now, this family of four can watch the movie for fifty bucks or whatever, whatever sure. it was. Um, and they can watch it at home. And I think the new generation wants to stay home and watch movies instead of going to the theater. I love going to the movies. Like I haven't I, been to yeah, the movies in a while and I was sitting there and I'm like, man, I miss, I miss taking my kids to the movies. You me know? too. There's to me, there's nothing like the theater. It's great. Yeah, it sucks. Um, it sucks. That, that, it's, it's definitely my preference. Watching them at home is not a bad thing. I, I enjoy that too, but, um, Definitely for me, going to the theater is a whole experience. Oh, yeah. I think some of that's gone away. Yeah, it has. Unfortunately, you have. Um, I have seen in some of my appearances over the last year. Um, you know, things like drive-ins; those are coming back. Yeah. Well, it's that's actually kind of a cool thing to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Sure. It's easier um, to be socially distanced when you're in drive-ins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I, I see. Over the pandemic, I, I felt. I have felt safer in a theater than I felt in fucking Walmart. So oh, I yeah, think there's, there's a real fucking disconnect with the way people are handling it because yeah. I, I would feel way safer in a theater than I would in a fucking Walmart sure. or a Target. I walk into any of those places and people just don't fucking care about social distancing. Right. They no. squeeze right past you. Right. Yeah. And and it doesn't happen in a theater. People people have pretty much social distance in theaters forever. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. aren't together yeah, aren't apart. <laughs> exactly. you know? Oh yeah. So, um, I just, I just um, hope this all didn't make the theater go away. Um, you know, hopefully it comes back. I know spiral just opened at, I think 14 million over the weekend, which obviously isn't great, but 
at least people are going back. I know when we went, there was probably 15 people in the theater with us. Yeah. Um, and that was Saturday at like 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, yeah. Hopefully they come back and, you know, we can get going back to the movies because there's a bunch of cool horror movies coming out. That I yeah, see I, I agree, screen. man. I, but I also think that, that this for the theater experience, I don't think it's going away totally. I think it's going to change a lot. Yeah. Like you, we've had, we've had obviously some big chains like file for bankruptcy though. They're, yeah. they're fucked. Yeah. But there are also some that are still out there fighting like Alamo draft house is fighting. Right. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't know about AMC, but some of the, some of the larger chains are still trying to fight and stay alive. Yeah. I know um, the Regal just opened like two weeks ago by us. They just right. opened back up because they had shut down right. completely for months. Right, um, same out here. They just came yeah, back. Uh, the AMC's been there this whole time, but they weren't releasing much. I mean, it was all old stuff, and yeah. they were opening at like four o'clock in the afternoon and staying open till like nine. So they were only showing right. a few movies in in a short period of time. Where I like right. going to the movies during the day, yeah. you know, I like going at like one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever with my kid. Like a matinee. Um, but. They weren't doing that. They, you know, they weren't opening till four o'clock. So I'm hoping that they expand hours and start getting more stuff. And with the summer right. coming up, you know, you got all the blockbusters coming out. I'm hoping that you know they start getting released and and people start going because um, I really love going to the theater. Yeah, I think it'll happen as long as these people uh, that run these these things like Draft House and stuff are still fighting to stay alive. I yeah. think I think they'll figure out ways to make it work. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a very good friend of mine, and I'm partnering with him. We just moved him out of a place on Fremont Street. Um, is moving into he was a 35 millimeter only theater, mm -hmm. so he only screens 35, 70. It's film only. He's he's got the ability to wow. do 70 and 16 as well, but um, it's film only. And we moved him out of his Fremont Street location, moved him in literally across like it's across the parking lot from our museum. Because we're going to do a lot of things together, events and stuff like that, screenings, screenings along the signings and things like that. Yeah. Um, but he's now six times his original size. So he's opening three full theaters and will be wow. screening from the morning. He's got these great, great That's ideas great. to do these like old film cartoon stuff for kids yeah, yeah. in the mornings, like pajama party type events. All these great smart things that he's That's the awesome. guy's marketing genius. So like I totally go see the like the original Friday the Thirteenth on a screen, you know, like that'd be yeah. really cool. Um, yeah, and 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 this is the place you could do it. And does he rent the theater out like to? He he does for events. If people, people wanted to rent out one theater yeah. for to for a particular film, yeah. He That's does. another thing around here is um you know back in 2012 we had a um it was called MovieCo and um we had a theater in Ybor city and we could rent a 300 seat theater on Saturday night at eight o'clock for 300 bucks. So yeah. my second movie I ever made, we had a $3,000 budget. I made my whole budget back just by premiering our movie at the theater. Um, and now AMC bought movie co out a few years ago and there's literally nowhere that we can rent like under a thousand dollars. Um, right. to what to show our movies, it, it kind of sucks. Um, <clears throat> and we got used to that Ybor City theater, three hundred dollars was crazy. I was running film festivals and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, I could get the whole, I could get the theater for 
three days for like seven, it's a uh, $900 uh, to wow. run a film festival. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, we, we just don't have those capabilities. Yeah. Anymore. They just yeah. don't have the theaters anymore. All the theaters that we have around here are AMC and Regal. And, yeah. and, uh, nah. and there's, there's no a couple cobs, there's a couple cobs, but they're all over a thousand bucks to rent. And, um, yeah, that makes sucks. it hard. Yeah. It's uh, and it doesn't make any sense to me because, you know, in the, in the theaters, you know, we got a 20 plex theater and, you know, five of those, five of those screens are running are movies that are probably like six, seven weeks old and nobody's yeah. going to see them. So I'm like, well, why wouldn't you rent it out, you know, to make it affordable to someone like me that wants to show my movie and I'm going to bring 200 people to your theater to eat your overpriced popcorn and drinks, you know, yeah. like it was, it's a win win for me for the way I see it. It's a win win for both parties. Um, 100%. You think yeah. they'd be more flexible with that, but exactly. you know, you have to remember those, some of those places are huge corporate entities. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's and that's a fuck ton of people it has to go through and you just, right. you're never going to get there. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of red tape hoops to jump through it's, it's just lame insurance it, it seems like nobody wants to support the independent film community around here and yeah. you know we, we're constantly fighting and fighting and fighting to get our movies seen and made and you know it just seems like nobody wants to help yeah. um our film commissioners are pretty much useless here they don't help you do anything well, I'll tell you, um, one of the things that I'm trying to do to change that is uh, I, I just was visited by um, a gentleman that runs a streaming service called Asai TV, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm setting up a Synologia channel, which is our museum brand, um, and he's giving me my own channel so I can run that how I want to. Right. We're, we're looking, and we've always been looking at running film festivals and things mm -hmm. like that, because our goal is to educate, help educate, and further educate all new filmmakers because right. that's what we want. We want people to continue to make this entertainment, sure. whether it's horror, sci-fi, whatever it is. I want to I feed that community. I want to feed the independent filmmakers so that they're, you know, I mean, all the guys we look up to, we're all indie filmmakers at one of course. point. They started somewhere. Yep. And, and. I want to be responsible for helping the next Steven Spielberg or the next, right. you know, or it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It, there doesn't seem to be enough of that out there these days. And, and that was one of the goals uh, when we started Synology was to help educate how this stuff is made, educate, you know, I had a, I had a, a film student come in the other day with his mother from California wants to be a director he's focused on being a director and uh he had had a stroke so he had some some speech issues mm -hmm. and and by the time he was done i just i just told him straight up i said look here's my phone number i wrote my phone number on my card and i said this is my cell phone number he this kid knew so much about so many things in the museum without me even telling him about right. it he just he knew everything he knew he knew everything from the 1902 film trip to the moon he knew a ton about it. He started talking about Nostradamus. He started talking about all these old, mm -hmm. cool horror films. That's and, amazing for especially um, a young person to know all that stuff. Yeah, for for a kid that was like he couldn't have been when he was nineteen. Right. Wow. Yeah, and amazing. he knew he knew probably more than I do about some of the shit. And and I was impressed. And I yeah. said I said don't let anything stop you. If you need anything, this is my personal number. You tell me what you need, and I'll try to help you get it done. Right. 
and that's amazing. Like we just had a somebody on a few weeks ago. Um, this girl, uh, she started. She wrote her script when she was 17 years old. She put this movie together, spent her own money, and it took her two years to finish this movie, and like twenty thousand dollars of her own money to make this movie. And she had her premiere like a month and a half ago. She had her premiere, and I was just like. I wouldn't even think about making a movie at 17 years old. Like that was just like, it blew my mind that this person was able to do all of this and put this huge movie together of all these locations and actors and, and like really heavy material, teen suicide and bullying and all wow. this stuff. And it's, I haven't seen the movie yet, um, but it's apparently pretty graphic and um, you know, but the fact that she did it by herself and did all of this her own, on her own was just, it, it blew That's me away. Incredible. Like it was amazing. And, um, you know, I was just happy that she got it finished. And now I'm telling her, Hey, you should make movies this way, <laughs> you know, find a guy yeah. that knows how to shoot, team up with them. And then, you know, she taught herself how to edit and she taught herself how to do everything. And it was just, it's really inspiring to see a young person like that, like really Definitely. take charge. That's it. It's really important for, for somebody to be well-rounded in filmmaking. In oh general. yeah. For but sure. if you find the area that you, you know, that excel you really in, prefer right. to be involved in or excel in, find that, follow it, and that if you have a general knowledge of something else, then you know at least that helps you get the film made better. Right. So, you know, but that that's the key, man, is networking. Network with the right people. Find find like I, for example, I just uh, met a guy that uh, does film scores that, uh, you know, I never met before, and right. I'm. I want his stuff. I want to look at his stuff. I'm going to have him help me maybe score some of the films that I've got sitting on the plate here. Right. So uh, I know what I want in general, but but he can help me get there. You know what I mean? Right, right. So it's all yeah, about, sure. you know, I have a certain level of knowledge, but those guys have the full, you know, the, the full, full course. Um, so sure, sure. work with them. That's what it is. Find your network and make it happen. And that's the thing. When I first started, it was like, I didn't know shit. Like I, I was self-taught. I put my first movie together the way I thought a movie was made and it was awful, but it was my film school and I learned but so much from that. And That's I've it. always yeah. surrounded myself with people that knew way more than I do and just learned as much as I can from those people. Um, and uh, there was a lot of talented people around here and that when I first started and they all really helped me a lot. And now I, you know, like I said, I can shoot, I can edit, I can direct, I can produce, I can do all of that. Yeah by myself if I had to just because all those people that I worked with over the years taught me so much. And, um, that's what it's all about. Finding people. Yeah. That's that, the, that that's the key, man. It's like film community is a community. It's supposed to be. A community. Absolutely. And, and, and we all as filmmakers, you know, to me, I, I feel like we have some responsibility to, you know, foster relationships and, and try to help people get their stuff done if they're passionate about it. Yeah, for sure. If they're just doing it for the money, eh, maybe they got the wrong. You're in the wrong profession. But yeah, this nowadays. is definitely definitely the wrong business to be in if you're looking to be a fucking millionaire. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think I think especially the horror community and folks in sci-fi. I mean, they're really passionate about that style. Right. Or you know, and I and I think that that the community in general. I mean, we all try to help each other, at least. The people I know. Right. Well, it's good. It's very you important know. to you know 
the build up the community of you know I speak about almost every every week about trying to build up a community, especially here in Tampa where we lack thereof. Um, but yeah. you know, what with the with the small community that we have, we have to be able to try to be able to you know, but up coach us up and pretty much you know just get involved with as many projects as we possibly can and just mm. like I said, we just got to find uh like a, a theater or something to work with that'll work with us. But our communities, you know, we have the good foundation for it. We just got to build it up somehow, right. and then we're attempting to do so. You know, well, I have an I have a couple online streaming services that I'm introducing, um, that I just got launched within the last couple of weeks that I'm trying to fill, um, and so we can give uh, the independent movie makers enough an avenue for revenue streaming, uh, because you know we are we are very limited in our capabilities after the movie gets released that tends to fade away. So uh, what, what we're trying to do is build up a community where we can actually have a central location where we can focus a lot of the energy and bring everyone in together. And so we can actually work together on future projects and you know build up a future to where we are going in a direction that's more, more profitable for everyone, as well as building the community as it is, as it should be, uh, with all the hard work that we put into it. So I think that's very key, building up community as we are. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Now, I don't. I'm, I know in in the Vegas area they have they do constantly doing conventions or anything like that. I know you were down here for a convention, weren't you recently? Yeah, wasn't Days of the Dead just over the weekend? <clears throat> I, yeah, Days of the Dead was here in Vegas. Um, I wasn't a guest there, but I did have an event around it. Mm -hmm. uh, I had Lisa Wilcox at our museum signing. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I was just at Sean's convention down in yeah. Tampa. Yeah. That was a that was a fun fun thing, and I really enjoyed what he was doing, and he's doing the film festival there too. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I think I that think you guys are idea. doing what you can with what you got. You <laughs> absolutely, know? absolutely. Um, it's funny because I had run a film festival for years. I had the Innovative Film Festival and the Florida Horror Film Festival, and it was all about the filmmaker. Like you know, it was like ten bucks to submit your movie. Cause I know how, how bad it sucks to drop 50 bucks on a submission and not get in. Um, sure. you know, 10 bucks don't hurt as bad as 50, but, um, you know, I try to get, make it affordable for people, make it real, f uh, filmmaker friendly when they got there. Um, and then I shut it down just cause I didn't have a venue anymore. Um, that was affordable. Right. Um, so Sean was running Tampa Bay screens and I told him, I was like, dude, why don't you have a film festival too? Like, you can get way more revenue and all those people that have a movie playing that are local are going to bring their whole cast and crew to your convention. Like it's just going to get you more money and, and it's a nice wing to add a film festival to. Um, so we started doing it and he's done pretty good with it. Um, I think he's been running it maybe three or four years now, the film festival yeah. side. And I think it's really helped his convention, uh, get more people in the door and, uh, and notice it. Um, yeah, it was fun. You know, I, I, it had a good vibe there. I, yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. I, I hope that some of the venues that are involved with him uh, kind of see the light a little better because mm -hmm. I don't think they were as cool as they could have been in and, and, and giving him a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I think that that could improve. Um, but, you know, I mean, he's a growing he's a growing a growing event. Yeah, he's been growing every that, every year. He's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So. Um, yeah. you know, I keep trying to tell them, look, you man, you got spooky empire down the street. Um, but they started where you started the same thing, yep. a little hotel convention exactly. and they've grown yeah. to this gigantic 
mega convention now. Um, you know, so he's getting there. Um, as long as he sticks with it, I think he'll get bigger and bigger. Uh, but it is a fun event. Like everybody's real friendly and you can mingle with the guests pretty easily. Um, it's not like spooky where you stand in line and you get to meet the guy for like 20 seconds while he autographs your thing for $60 and, and then you leave. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. There, man. I, it was really great. good vibe. You know, we had, it was funny cause we had, uh, uh, one of his cast members, I think her name was Kate, um, helping us out, you know, mm -hmm. and super nice people, just super good vibe. Um, we had some hiccups getting into Tampa in general because there was some hotel issues and things like that. Right. But once I was at the show, man, it was it was fun. It was really yeah, it fun. fun. It's a good time. So he's having another one in July, um, a little pop-up event one day. Um, should be pretty fun. Yep. But, um, now, um, as somebody trying to build up a community, of as you do over there, now what would you recommend – for us to, you know, try to uplift us, try to get us, you know, an idea of what to expect or, you know, just something that, that'll give us some hope trying to build up this community. Because, you know, there's so many things that are against us right now that, like, we're being priced out of locations. We're just uh, not welcome in a lot of locations. So, like, what, what do you think that, you know, what we need to do better or what do you think that, you know, we should try to attempt or try to just uplift ourselves? Open our own theater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, aside from yeah, that. go find go find it go find a theater that's shut down and open it. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know that every market's different. I mean, you know, obviously there are some serious challenges in the Tampa area where you guys are, and I, I what's sad is is it's such a rad location. You know? I mean, oh, it's great! We, that's the thing. We it's have great everything city. here. It's got a beach. Yeah, you have so much here. to offer. That town has so much to offer. Right. And yet, I, I even noticed when I got there that there was just some things were like, you know, it was like, how many fucking problems can we have in a day? Right. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny is there's a, a independent theater that opened, and we were all excited. We were like, oh, my God, we're going to be able to get an affordable venue, right? So we were wanting to show um, – we were wanting to premiere Zed's Dead. And uh, so we called the guy, and, like, this is a brand-new theater. I mean, it's been open maybe six months. And um, so we talked to the guy. It's a hundred seat theater, and you know we told him what we wanted to do. He was going to charge us three hundred dollars and half the tickets. And I'm like, is this guy insane? Like, how are we supposed to make money for our movie? And like, it was insane. So right. I mean, I, I understand. I told the guy we're bringing all, we're going to bring a hundred people to your theater, your brand new theater. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. he probably should have just gave it to us for and free. And, and the content, off hour, the content you know? itself was yours, right? It yeah, it's our like content. You had to rent any right. content. It's our content. So, so we would bring it to So that's, and, that like, confuses me a little bit. Yeah, it confused me. 300 bucks. He should have just said, look, I'll do a ticket split with you. I'll take five bucks off each ticket and right. we're good. Well, that's the thing. He was like, do you guys, are you going to sell tickets? And we're like, yeah, you know, that's our plan. We're going to sell them for like 10 bucks. And yeah. he's like, oh, well, I'll have to sell the tickets for you and take half. And we're just like, yeah, go okay. fuck yourself. <laughs> Have fun with your empty theater. So I don't know. It was just mind-boggling what people think. Uh, they don't. They don't think about the future. They think about what is. What am I getting now? You know, not yeah. the fact yeah, that we're bringing. A, not the fact that we're bringing a hundred people that have never been to his theater before to his theater. They're going to buy snacks and whatever, which is going to cover his cost for us being there. 
I don't know. If I was a theater owner, I probably would have given it to them for free, <laughs> you know, just to get people in my theater. Um, right. But I don't know. People think the way they do, and I don't know. It doesn't make sense to well, me Well, and, and, and I, I understand your frustration because I know, like, it's weird. I've been, I've been traveling a lot over the last six months and doing a lot of appearances in different places, some of them being theaters. Uh, I did uh, – there's a, one in the Poconos. It's a little three-screen old theater, really cool. It's all been upgraded to digital and everything. It, was, it would be like a perfect venue for you guys to do what you're talking about. Right. Um, and they're, you know, they're very receptive to the film community and, mm -hmm. and open to doing things. But, you know, I mean, th the market itself is so weird because, uh, you know, they went and they got the rights to screen Tremors with me as a guest. Mm -hmm. And I think we had like five people show up. Oh, wow. So it was, it, it, it's just <clears throat> super hit and miss. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just know it's very difficult in, in this market because there, there's just so many different like so much more to do it's very touristy and yeah that's the thing it, here you it, can go to sports games you can go to all the theme parks you can go to the beach i mean there's just so much stuff to do here that the movies yeah that, i mean we don't even have we don't even have uh we don't even have film incentives yeah to shoot here uh, yeah that's that's so really they shot um that movie with ben affleck um it was a gangster movie uh was it dead of night or i think it was dead of night is what it was called anyway the, the movie takes place in Ybor City, which we have Ybor City here. And it was cheaper for them to build Ybor City on a stage in Atlanta than it was to shoot the movie in Ybor City, if that makes any sense at all. Just because we had no incentives for the film, for the people That's to, to film really here. That's really sad. Do you crazy. guys have a film commission there? Yeah, we have two. And like I said, they're, they're useless. They, um, don't, they don't help anything. The St. Pete guy basically uses his... Uh, uses his credentials to go to cons and Sundance and all this shit and doesn't, and the only thing, and he's got like a, he's got like people here, like a film company that he's like butt buddies with and anything that comes here, he uses them to film it. So we have no chance of, you know, being on set with, you know, being on the set or even as a PA, I couldn't get on one of the sets because, you know, he, he has this crew that he, so it's kind of kind of good old boy network. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he was actually on the news uh, like last year because people were thinking that he was using tax dollars to fly to cons and all this stuff. Um, oh, it kind of well, just got that. shoved under the rug, but they did like an investigation on him and stuff. And then we got a new commissioner in Tampa. This was the St. Pete commissioner in Tampa. Um, he's new and um, – don't really know much about him. I, I he literally just got the position not even a year ago, and um, mm. you know I asked him for some help trying to find a location, and I wouldn't say help me. He just threw me a couple names here, call these people, you know, type of thing, and kind of brushed me aside. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean that's the thing is like yeah, it's a shame. It doesn't sound like they're be, very apt to help. You know, right. they're just they're just there. Your they're job is there. film commissioner. You should be involved in like literally everything that's going on here. Well, so so here's here's the best suggestion I could I could give for for that kind of market. You're kind of and and I'll say that 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 uh, out here in Vegas it's kind of the same. Like unless you're unless your budget's like five hundred grand or higher, mm -hmm. the film commission here doesn't really want to be involved. Right. So um, it. it it presents a lot of challenges. Um, sure. One of the things you could do is I would I would go hit up the universities, 
if they have any kind of film program anywhere between the universities and the and the even the community colleges, if they have film programs, find those people, get in with those people, get them to help you because you'll find that's probably a better resource than anything yeah. uh, with a film commission. Right. It is definitely that's a good right. idea because we have a lot of. Uh, just universities and schools in this area that actually do yeah. have those film and even radio broadcasting type of uh, situations sure. actually give us, you know, different outlets. So that, that could be an avenue that we could uh, pursue um, in, in that aspect. I do appreciate that uh, little advice because we definitely need it. Because like I said, our community is it's pretty big, but it's just we just don't have like too much to stand on right now. It's dwindling. Right. Like we. Yeah. Like I said, in, when we first started this in 2010, um, between 2010 and 2015, we had a pretty good vibe going. Like we were, everybody was making stuff. We had tons of actors that wanted to be in movies. And, and since then, they've all moved. You know, they've gotten their credits and they've moved to Atlanta or L.A. And sure. they're doing their they own thing They moved where now. the work is. Yeah, because there's no work here. I mean, if, you're, if you don't want to be in a commercial and you want to be like in movies, this is not the place to be. Um, if you want to be a commercial actor, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here. But as far as film and TV, there's really not much. Um, unless yeah, that's really unfortunate. I, I, like I said, being in Tampa and looking around, it's just that city has so much to offer. Yeah, it's amazing. Like they're shooting themselves in the foot. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. So I don't know what their inse- their incentives for themselves are, or just because it's just limiting. Like that's why a lot of the, why Universal and Disney doesn't really they don't shoot here anymore. They shoot in yeah. L. A. Right. or in Burbank oh, and all that stuff, and or Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, so it's like I don't know why, or you know what their mindset is in our industry, or why they're trying to handcuff us to you know keep us down, unless we're like big like Will Smith productions like in Miami or something. But other than that, right. they they do nothing for us, or right. they do give us nothing. To you know, uplift or uh, you know upgrade our our situation here, and it's really frustrating, especially for new filmmakers and new new artists to just even build something. We just it just no nothing. Everyone just moves, and we just get. Well, left. I totally understand that, and I think that what <clears throat> you do in in that kind of situation is is if you know that frustration and you're living with that frustration, then uh, you guys. I mean, you guys are filmmakers, so you guys kind of got to become the solution. Right. And, and, and that's find what we do. People. We just do our own thing. Find, yeah, do your own thing, but find those other people because they do exist there. I know. Right. I had an Uber driver that was talking to me about making his own horror movie. Right. And I know they exist there. Oh, they do. So maybe they their do. frustrations are the same, but they haven't found you guys. Right. You guys need to get that network together. That's the thing. We don't have a problem with filmmakers. Like we have a million filmmakers here. We're having a problem with getting talent. Like the yeah. the actors are, they're so thin and. You know, we've, me and Sean have just basically built a little group of people that we just make a bunch of stuff with. And I tried to step out and get some fresh faces and, you know, different talent. And and this movie I was trying to put together, and it was a nightmare. Like, I I put the project on the back burner because it was so difficult to find new actors that wanted to work for very little money and – these people had no credit. Like I had two girls tell me their agent told them not to be in the movie. And I'm like, what? Like, isn't your agent supposed to like want you to be in, in, in movies and get parts? I mean, these were two lead roles and 
the agent told him not to be in the movie. So I was just like, okay. But yeah, it was just one thing after another trying to cast this movie. And it was a small cast. I mean, like 10 people. And I couldn't do it. And this was the first time I wasn't able to put a movie together. And I was also having a location issue. Um, but that was the first time that since I've been doing this that I couldn't do it. And I was so frustrated. It was consuming my life trying to figure everything out. And I was like, you know what? I got to stop. My girlfriend was like, you need to like put this on the back burner because it's like not doing good things for you. So I did. And um, now we're working on it. Me and Sean are working on something different with the same people that we've always worked with. (laughs) Right, right. Well, when you have know, when you have that core crew, that's a good thing. But um, I think maybe one of the things you could do is, is literally reach out to those universities and, and colleges and find who has film programs right. wherever within a within a two hundred mile radius of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you'll find uh, some of those dedicated people will come out of the woodwork. Right. Um, and if you need resources too, I mean, reach out to me. I've got people here asking me all the time. You know, they want they want that 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 break for mm-hmm. that, you know. Yeah. Sure. Well, on that note, thank you again for joining us, Nick Benson, on Killer Collab Podcast. Once again, I'm joined with Chris Leto for Reaper Films, and my name is Tone Death from Florida, Tony D. And I just want to say thank you, Nick, for joining us from all the way in Vegas in early morning. I do apologize that it was so early. I blame Chris. <laughs> just kidding, I don't. Uh, but I do appreciate. It. We look forward to seeing you and uh, seeing your work in future films and future projects. And please, don't be a stranger. Reach out. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, guys. You bet.